0: You're listening to Movie Fighters on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Go to greenlitpodcast.com
1: to learn more. This is Movie Fighters, the show where Chris Sims and I, Matt Wilson, we watch movies and we beat them up. This month on the show, it's something we've been putting off for some time, but we could put it off no longer. That's right, we're watching 2019's Hellboy. Something we intended to do, like, last September, October? I think we were going to do it in October for Halloween times. I think you're right. And it had been misreported that that movie... We were lied to. (laughs) ...was going to be, quote-unquote, dumped onto Amazon Prime. When in fact, it wasn't going on Prime. It was just going on Amazon for rent or purchase. Some like four months after the movie came out in theaters. Because this movie was released into theaters in April of 2019 on April 12th and uh it did not do well. Yeah, yeah, I I have I have heard that about this. Now, interestingly, the the screenplay is credited to Andrew Cosby, the the co-founder of Boom Studios and okay, interesting. Co-creator co-creator of Eureka, the sci-fi TV series. Ah, yes. But Mike Mignola was very involved in the writing of this script. According to the writing section of the Wikipedia page for Hellboy, uh, Mignola wrote early drafts with Cosby and Christopher Golden. And Mignola was planning to develop a new draft with Aaron Eli uh, Koleet, I believe is how you say his name. Mignola... Kind of said it would be a mix between an action movie and a horror movie, but ended up not being credited. Interesting. Interesting. At least he wasn't – I mean, he was credited as, you know, the creator of Hellboy, but he was not credited as a writer of the film.
0: Now, Matt, I remember there being a not significant amount of drama. Regarding Guillermo del Toro in this movie. And I don't know how much of that was like among fans or how much of it was like in any way legit. Yeah. Uh, But I remember people, like, like people that we know, being very, being upset, being a little let down that we weren't getting like a new Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movie. And I remember being really surprised by that because as someone who likes Guillermo del Toro movies a lot... I thought
1: his Hellboy movie was bad. I think the first Hellboy movie is okay. The second one leaves a lot to be desired. I I don't know that either movie totally captures the spirit of Hellboy the comic. uh I also don't know if it's possible to capture the spirit of Hellboy the comic in in film.
0: Capturing the spirit of Hellboy on film sounds like something that
1: someone would try to do (laughs) in an an issue of Hellboy. True. I I think the Ron Perlman performance, the Ron Perlman depiction of Hellboy is pretty good. I feel like the character is pretty good. I think the thing that is lacking in those Del Toro Hellboy movies is the world.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. B- BPRD feels a little different. It feels more like a Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro world than the Mike Mignola Hellboy world. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I can I can see that. And and some of the world around, some of the characters around him are not quite as fleshed out as they are in the comic, which you know is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do know, I, I I know this pretty distinctly that there were. Absolutely plans to do a third Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movie that just never panned out, perhaps because Hellboy 2 was not a huge success. The Golden Army? The Golden Army. I mean, it did okay. It made $160 million on an $85 million budget. I mean, that's relatively – that's making more than your budget back.
0: It It is wild. That there are movies that uh, can profit millions of dollars, more money than I will ever see in my life. Uh, and people are like, oh, it failed. It was a failure.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of times movies, like when you compare box office to budget, you're not really making a fair comparison because a, there's a ton more money goes into marketing and stuff. hmm so for a movie to be profitable, it's probably got to make like double its budget back and, and a little more. Um, but he, on the Hellboy 2 page, uh, there's a note that says, Del Toro had expressed interest in a sequel saying, I think we could all come back to do a third Hellboy. If they can wait for me to get out of Middle Earth, this is when he was supposed to be involved in the Hobbit films. Uh, but we don't know. Ron may want to do it sooner, but I certainly don't know where we're going with the movie on the third one. He eventually dropped out of directing The Hobbit, but then uh, Hellboy 3 just never materialized. And Mike Mignola decided to move on with this this new plan. This reboot, I guess, of Hellboy. I
0: was very surprised that people seemed that attached to the Hellboy movies.
1: The cast is good. The cast is good. I, There's I, interesting visuals. It's. I think it's maybe... A, a, a throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of scenario to just dump every, to dump all of it. Okay. But I, I wasn't like upset when I found out that a new Hellboy was happening with a new cast. I do think, though, based on what I saw from this movie in trailers and stuff, that it appeared in every way to be a clear step down. From the Del Toro Hellboy movies. See,
0: I also didn't think it looked that bad. Like, okay. there was some stuff in that. Tr- like I, I look, I hate to be the contrarian, Matt. That's a lie. You know, that's a lie.
1: Yeah, I do know that's a lie.
0: Uh but like I, I was like, oh, he does. He got a thing where, with the crown on his head. That's neat. But that's I, awesome. that was neat.
1: That's one visual.
0: Yeah, I thought. I thought. David Harbor looked good as Hellboy, based on on what I have seen of David Harbor, which is literally just Stranger Things. Sure, I thought he could be a good Hellboy. I I feel like Ron Perlman
1: was like maybe born to be Hellboy, but I mean that's the thing. Like David Harbor doesn't seem like he would be a bad Hellboy, but Ron Perlman is already like perfect for it. Yeah. I, I, maybe Ron Perlman. I mean, Ron Perlman has aged fifteen years. He had aged fifteen years between the first Hellboy and the release of this one. You know, maybe he wasn't up to do it again
0: mm-hmm.
1: by twenty nineteen, twenty eighteen. But like Ron Perlman is so perfect for it. It's but it's not even the look that's the issue. I I thought based on those trailers, and I guess we'll learn for sure when we watch it i thought from those trailers that the tone felt completely off the the way hellboy was portrayed is this like exasperated character who in that we've talked about hellboy comics a lot on our various shows and part of the beauty of hellboy is that he's understated
0: yeah so, no, i will say that that is correct i he was he was a little too much
1: he's he seems so like what's going on what are we doing Wah! like he's he's like yelling a lot yeah <laughs> and i don't, why why does he need he doesn't need to do that which um, i
0: like a yelling hellboy like i like uh i like uh, a a hellboy who gets in a fight and and starts being like yeah you like that <laughs> when he's beating up a, a goddamn frankenstein gorilla. <laughs> But that's
1: what—that's a Hellboy who's having fun. That's not a Hellboy who's like, I don't know what's happening. Which is—is the sense I got from the show in that voice, please? (laughs) Uh, The director of the new Hellboy is a director who I think has made a career of making interesting movies that don't do so well uh, in terms of box office. Uh, It's Neil Marshall who probably first came to prominence uh, with the movie The Descent which is actually a great movie. Like a fantastic like claustrophobic horror movie set in North Carolina. Uh, Because they go on a like a spelunking trip in the North Carolina mountains. these, These women and they get stuck in the cave, and then weirder shit starts happening. The Descent is an absolutely great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. His movies after that are a little bit of diminishing returns. Doomsday is an extremely weird movie.
0: Oh my god, can, can we watch Doomsday? Matt, okay, look, peeling back the curtain, uh-huh. we were planning on watching Darkman 2, The Return of Durant, today. But it is yep. no longer on uh, HBO, it is on Stars. no one has Stars.
1: Why would you have stars?
0: Why would you have stars? I do think I had stars for like a year, because <laughs> I forgot to stop paying for it. But that's, that's beside the point. We went through so many movies being like, okay, do we want to watch this? Okay, that's very long. Do you want to watch this? This is maybe too terrible to subject ourselves to. <laughs> Why have we not watched the movie Doomsday,
1: which rules, actually? We could put Doomsday in our back pocket. It's it's not streaming anywhere currently, so we'll have to acquire it to watch it.
0: Uh, yeah, if you have not seen Doomsday, Doomsday is uh, a movie that is essentially a zombie apocalypse movie set in Scotland. It's also four
1: different movies. It's a wild film. We, we can absolutely watch Doomsday. We can go on a little bit of a Neil Marshall run. We can try to watch Doomsday in March. We'll pencil that one in.
0: Pencil that one in, because it is... Oh, Matt, it's so good. And by good, I mean very
1: bad, actually. <laughs> it's nuts. It's a it's, nuts yeah, movie. It's,
0: it's completely bananas. It makes no sense. Uh, there is a plot point that is about how they've like run out of supplies... And yet everyone in this post-apocalyptic Scotland does have a dirt bike that they do dirt bike tricks on. Yes. It's great.
1: Uh, Neil Marshall's next movie was Centurion, which we could watch for the show. Uh, It is a movie no one saw. Uh, It is a 2010, hey, 300 was popular, let's make this Mm. movie, starring Michael Fassbender and Dominic West. Uh, It's about the disappearance of the Roman Empire's Ninth Legion in Caledonia. Uh, it It is a movie that made half its budget of $12 million. Thanks. Uh, he had not directed another movie. He, he directed a segment of the anthology film Tales of Halloween in 2015, but did not direct any feature films between Centurion and Hellboy.
0: Tales of Halloween is maybe about the most generic name you could ask for.
1: Uh, I've seen it. It's not good. Unsurprising. Not, not a good uh horror anthology film at all. Is it not good because
0: it's not like is it not scary? Because you know if it's, I'll I'll watch it. It's
1: uh it's like gory for gory's sake. Okay. I, I I would say it's uh extra. It's a movie that's very extra. Okay. Gratuitous. That's the word. Okay. But Neil Marshall, in the meantime, did direct a lot of television. Uh, he directed uh, two episodes of Game of Thrones, Blackwater and The Watchers on the Wall.
0: Oh, Blackwater was good. Blackwater was one. good. Yeah.
1: Uh, he directed two episodes of Black Sales. He directed two episodes of Constantine, or Constantine, I guess. Uh, he directed an episode of Hannibal, which was great. Uh, he directed an episode of Westworld and an, uh, two episodes of Timeless. So he's been working. He's been working in television, mostly, until before coming back to feature films uh, with Hellboy. But Hellboy was not well-received when it yeah. came out in April 2019.
0: It, it was not well-received either by casual audiences or by uh, people who are obsessed with the two-page story pancakes. <laughs>
1: Correct. Uh, it uh, it made back $44.6 million of its $50 million budget, doing far worse than Hellboy 2 did, uh, box office-wise. Uh, it was also not received well critically. Uh, it received a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, with an average rating of 3.66 out of 10. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, I won't read any particularly bad or good reviews. Uh, But the the sort of critical agreement, I suppose, is that it's a bit of a mess, plot-wise, and also a bit gratuitous, as far as, like, monster-killing violence and stuff. I will read this quote from David Harbour, who uh, isn't quite coming to the movie's defense. (laughs) Let's say that. We did our best But there's so many voices that go into these things that they're not always going to work out. I did what I could do, and I feel proud of what I did. But ultimately, I'm not in control in a lot of those things. Shifting blame, let's say.
0: That is not exactly promising.
1: Uh, He also said, uh, most likely there won't be a sequel. No kidding.
0: Matt, you never know.
1: Never say never. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. Uh, the movie is based on a few stories from the comics. Uh, the Wild Hunt, I believe, is the key one. Uh, but it also in- includes bits from Darkness Calls, The Storm of the Fury, and Hellboy in Mexico, which I do think it makes it somewhat distinct from the Guillermo del Toro movies, which aren't really based on any comics at all. I suppose the first Hellboy movie is based on the first Hellboy story, because it's got Rasputin in it. But even it's pretty different from the comic.
0: I'm interested to see. As two people who are very familiar with Hellboy, who also tend to be slightly more forgiving of uh, bad films, i.e. Doomsday, uh-huh. I feel like maybe we could have a, a different perspective.
1: Well, let's see what our perspective is when we watch Hellboy. But before we get into watching Hellboy Chris, it's time for the hottest segment in all of podcasting. That's right. It's snack situation time. Snack
0: situation. What's your snacking on?
1: Chris, what are you snacking on for Hellboy?
0: Matt, I have a wealth of snacks. I have perhaps even an embarrassment of snacks in my home right now. You saying you snack rich? I'm snack rich, baby! <laughs> finally. Finally. Rich in snacks, as I've always wanted. I have some leftover pizza from my favorite uh, pizza place, Pie Pushers, here in uh, in Durham, North Carolina. I've got that. I've got some Doritos. Matt, I have Doritos on hand. I have pastries from the farmer's market. Now, mm-hmm. Matt, I am eating a pastry from the farmer's market. And I want to tell you. It is a banana pudding croissant, and the way they make this, Matt, is they they take a croissant, yeah, and they just put banana pudding in it. Mm-hmm. It's good. It sounds good. It's it's I like to consider it to be a fusion of it's, the South and uh, the French. Yeah, as the French it's say,
1: not quite New Orleans, but but a fusion of of Southern and French cuisine.
0: Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I'm very excited about it. Uh, Also, I might, if this movie is boring, I might get
1: up and go get some pizza. I I wouldn't blame you for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Matt, what are you snacking on?
1: Well, Chris, uh, this is a movie about a demon, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a little bad.
0: Are you going to be bad?
1: I'm going to be a little bad. Actually, I'm not going to be that bad uh compared to other times we do this segment, but I am going full chocolate. I have a a warm hot mug. Well, not piping hot, but warm. <laughs> mug of uh
0: Matt, you're you're giving a lot of qualifiers.
1: I am. It's hot chocolate. I have some hot chocolate. It's the Lando Lakes uh like supreme chocolate hot chocolate. And I also have uh, a package of double stuff Oreos. That's right, I'm going Double Stuff. Ooh.
0: Now, Matt, do you consider the Double Stuff to be the optimal Oreo size?
1: Yes. Yes. The Double Stuff is the optimal amount of Oreo cream.
0: You don't F with uh,
1: the Mega Stuff. Mega Stuff too much. Mega Stuff too stuff too much. Okay, Mega Stuff too much. That makes sense. Regular Oreo... Good. I, I'm not going to turn down a regular Oreo. Mm-hmm. But I prefer the double stuff. I prefer a little a little more uh, cream in the middle of the Oreo. That's our snacks. That's what we're going to be snacking on as we watch Hellboy from 2019. If you would like to watch Hellboy along with us, it is available to rent on any number of streaming services. And you you may do so. We will be back after... You hear uh, a promo for some other Greenlit Podcast Network shows and a musical interlude. We're going to talk about Hellboy 2019.
0: How does Bloodborne stack up against, say, Oregon Trail? And is Bomberman just Loadrunner Runner from a different point of view? Find out on Hardcore Gaming 101's Top Games, where we objectively, definitively, and scientifically rank the games you nominate for our ever-growing list hg101's top games twice a week every week right here on greenlit
1: they say with age comes wisdom well over here at the cartridge family we only have one question who are they join three imperfect dads as they juggle kids
0: wives and jobs while indulging in their favorite hobby playing video games the cartridge family a greenlit network podcast
1: And we are back from watching 2019's Hellboy, which I have some theories about that we'll get to in high points, low points, final thoughts. But Chris, I think it would behoove us to just kind of burn through the events of this movie as quickly as possible. It does roughly... Follow the events of the Hellboy, the Wild Hunt storyline. Does it? Roughly. (laughs) There are some changes that are quite, quite infuriating, though. So the movie kicks off with a prologue sequence narrated by Ian McShane, who plays Professor Broom in this movie. Mm -hmm. And we learn about the Blood Queen, who (laughs) is a figure from the 6th century who unleashes a plague on England. Yeah, And she is about to be successful in her efforts to essentially wipe out humanity, but thanks to a member of her coven, one of her witch sisters, uh, King Arthur manages to uh, find her and cut her to pieces with Excalibur. And her remains are put in these like chests basically and scattered across England at different monasteries and other other locations.
0: Yes. And we should say the Blood Queen is uh Nimue. Yes, Nimue. Uh, who who Matt you might know as Madam Xanadu.
1: <laughs> That's right. From 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 the Justice League. That's right. You you may also know her as Alice The lead character of the Resident Evil series of films.
0: We should have done it, Matt! We wouldn't be in this mess if we had just watched all the Resident Evil movies in reverse chronological order like I've wanted to for two years.
1: I actually checked into it. Only three of the Resident Evil movies are currently available to watch on streaming services. And the most recent one is available to watch Nowhere, unfortunately.
0: We could just watch them at random. Anyway, continue it, move on. It's it's, uh, Mila Jovovich.
1: Mila Jovovich, yeah. Uh, She is the Blood Queen. There is a very Sam Raimi esque and kind of funny part, even though I don't think it's intended to be funny, part where her head, which is still alive, so she's like yelling at King Arthur about how much this sucks and how she's going to come back, uh, is being put into a box. And it's it's one of a number of Sam Raimi-esque moments in the film. It's
0: extremely Sam Raimi-esque. To the point of me just wishing this was a Sam Raimi movie, because then I feel like it would have had things that were memorable in it.
1: Yeah. When, sadly, a lot of this movie does end up being quite forgettable.
0: Matt, it's like I'm experiencing it for the first time listening to you talk about it right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then we cut to the present day in Tijuana, Mexico. Hellboy has been sent by Professor Broom to go find a missing BPRD agent named Esteban Ruiz, who is a professional wrestler, a lutador in Mexico. Uh, and Hellboy goes into the ring to wrestle him, tries to convince him to come back, learns that he is a vampire, and accidentally kills him by impaling him on a ring post. Yeah, you hate if, to see it. You hate to see it. In front of a lot of people. <laughs> and he is he is recorded online uh, on Twitter, is what is specifically stated. Uh, that leads BPRD to Hellboy, Uh, who has gone into a drunken stupor in Mexico after accidentally killing Esteban. He is brought back to BPRD in Colorado and is, is not disciplined for killing Esteban, really, in any way. He tells Professor Broom, Hellboy does, about Esteban's last words being that the end is coming. And... Professor Broom then sort of switches gears into telling Hellboy about the Osiris Club, a group in England who has for centuries uh, hunted down giants. Their main deal is every once in a while, giants come back to life in England. There used to be tons of giants in England. Sometimes they come back to life. And the Osiris Club has to hunt them down. In this particular case, they're looking for Hellboy's help. Chris, do you remember why they need Hellboy's help in this case? Absolutely not. There are usually two. This time there are three. Mm, Right, right. Okay. Yes. Usually there are only a certain number of giants. This time there are more giants. I thought always two there
0: were, Matt. A master and an apprentice.
1: (laughs) This time there are three. So... That is their, let's say, cover story for needing Hellboy to come help them. As they're telling Hellboy about how they need his help, uh, a a seer, who looks a little bit like Storm from the X-Men. In that she
0: has white hair and completely white eyes.
1: Yeah. She comes into the room. Her name is Lady Hatton. She's a seer. She comes in and tells Hellboy his own origin story, which apparently he does not know. Some 80 years after it happened. So she explains the whole origin story, which in this movie, we got the origin story in the Del Toro Hellboy movie. But it did not include Lobster Johnson like it does here. Uh, Lobster Johnson shows up and kills a bunch of the Nazis, leading Professor Broom to get Hellboy and take him home. Hellboy goes on the hunt with the Osiris Club, and wouldn't you know it, again, you hate to see it, they turn on him. They stab him a bunch of times. They electrocute him. They almost have him down for the count in a stream, but just as they're about to deliver the killing blow, one of the members of the Osiris Club just gets his head knocked clean off. And we transition to the concurrent story that's happening in the movie, where Gruagok, a pig-like demon slash fairy, I think at one point Hellboy refers to him as a fairy. He's, He's a pig demon, basically, though. He has been tasked by Baba Yaga at first, and then by... Nimue herself later to retrieve all of Nimue's body parts and put her back together. It's a real Castlevania 2. It's very much
0: a Castlevania 2, and like Castlevania 2, it's very flawed. <laughs> uh,
1: Grugok is, is getting all the pieces of Nimue. At this point in the movie, he has gotten the head and like her torso and most of her limbs and we see a scene where she is watching television and uh, makes some very poignant points about how everything has changed. They've just replaced – but it's all the same. They've just replaced the swords and stuff with singing competitions. Yeah. She's like – Reality like, TV. Yeah, she's, she's watching like reality TV and making these very salient points about it. Uh-huh. Very much so. Very much so. So – Hellboy wakes up, he surprisingly is not dead. He comes to find that even though the wild hunt absolutely tricked him into going on this hunt when they intended to kill him, the giants are for real. They're really there. There are three giants. Mm -hmm. And so he has to fight and kill them all. This is the scene where you learn that Hellboy hates eyes.
0: Hellboy, there's a lot of eye trauma. Frederick Wortham would not enjoy this film.
1: He would not. He, he stabs one of the giants in the eye. There's another eye thing here. There's a ton of like eye destruction in this movie from this point on. Uh, but he does kill the giants. It is tough on him, though. So after he he dispatches the giants... He's about to pass out, and he is approached by Alice Monahan. Uh, a, uh, I would I would refer to her as the cleric of the party. Yes, very very much so. In a real way, she casts speak with dead a number of times. Yes. In, in this movie, Alice is a child that Hellboy once saved from Gruagok, In fact. Uh, Alice's parents knew that there was something wrong with their baby. Turned out that their baby had been replaced with Gruagok, and Hellboy had to pull him out of their home, send him scurrying along his way, and force the fairies to bring Alice back to her parents. Yeah, you
0: remember this story from the comics. This this is Is this the Iron Shoes? This is the start, I believe, it's it's in The Corpse and the Iron Shoes. Uh, so it's either uh, The Corpse or the Iron Shoes. I'm pretty sure it's the Iron Shoes.
1: Okay. I don't know which parts of the movie come from. I know a lot of it comes from Wild Hunt. The part that's from Hellboy in Mexico is very obvious.
0: Oh, no, it is The Corpse, Matt. It is The Corpse, which is okay. one of the best Hellboy stories.
1: Yeah, okay. I didn't remember that being from The Corpse. Yeah. This also explains Gruagok's huge vendetta against Hellboy. Uh, Gruagok is doing all this for the Blood Queen because she has promised him Hellboy.
0: Hellboy was mean to him.
1: Hellboy was mean to him and made it so that he couldn't replace a family's baby. Yeah. Hellboy goes back to Alice's house. They realize that They know each other. He realizes that she's Alice. And as they are kind of making plans for what to do next, the whole apartment is attacked by an M-11 troop led by Ben Damio, who uh, is played by Daniel Day Kim here. Um, He is being sent in by Professor Broom to get Hellboy back. You can tell from the start that Ben is not particularly – he doesn't trust Hellboy. He doesn't think that Hellboy should be doing what he's doing, working for BPRD. And he makes his feelings known pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. It's revealed soon after this that Ben actually is trying to put together a set of ancient materials – to kill Hellboy with. That's going to seem important. In fact, it is not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that you think is going to be important, like several things in this movie. And then... it's Sorry. (laughs) So sorry. It's not.
1: Hellboy and Professor Broom get into a big argument about his origin story and how he was adopted. Uh, He also doesn't quite think that the plan, because everybody's figured out what's going on with the Blood Queen now, that her body's being reassembled, that her pieces are being stolen from the various holy sites where they were being kept. Uh, There was a scene a little earlier where uh, Hellboy sees a vision of the Blood Queen and it's clear that she's kind of trying to seduce him. Because... One thing we learn is that the Blood Queen, to fully achieve her plan, must also find a king. And she wants Hellboy to be that king. So Professor Broom and Hellboy get into a big argument about whether the Blood Queen might actually be right or not. Why do monsters have to hide in the shadows? Why can't monsters be part of uh, society? And he sort of goes stomping out of... Uh, the BPRD headquarters, he gets on an elevator and tries to go up, but instead the elevator goes down. It goes down real fast, and he finds himself in the realm of Baba Yaga. He's looking at the Baba Yaga's house with chicken legs, and it sets itself down. He goes and talks to Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga has a big Feast laid out for him, which anybody who's watching this movie would probably identify as very similar to the scene from Pad's Labyrinth with the Feast. Which, weird to remind everybody of a Guillermo del Toro movie here. Uh, but Bobby Yaga basically tells him, she can give him Nimue's location if Hellboy gives up one of his eyes. She needs one of his eyes.
0: Because Hellboy, Hellboy took an eye out, and she... Because Hellboy hates eyes. He hates them. He cannot stand eyes.
1: He just has no use for eyes. Yeah. Who needs them? What Hellboy says. He promises her one of his eyes in return for this information, but he says they didn't actually set a timeline on this deal, so uh, she should have negotiated better. And he ends up not actually giving her one of his eyes at this point. Uh, And... She tells him where Nimoy is. So, Ben, Alice, and Hellboy go to Nimoy's location, which is at the tree where she was originally cut into pieces by King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Also, on the way there, Ben reveals his origin story, which is a predator.
0: It's, it's just, it's the movie Predator.
1: He was in a situation like the movie Predator.
0: If you've seen the movie Predator, you know the situation that Ben Daimio was in, because it's very similar.
1: The one key difference is that if Arnold Schwarzenegger had been attacked by the Predator and then became a Predator, that's the one key difference. Yeah, Because Ben Daimio gets attacked by like a cat monster, and then he becomes a cat monster. Right, right. So Nimue has been fully resurrected. She's extracted her blood from that tree where she was dismembered before because that tree absorbed all her blood earlier. And as such, an army of monsters has come to her her aid. She has resurrected this army of monsters. But Hellboy shoots her in the face where one of her eyes are hanging out. Because Hellboy don't fuck with eyes. One of Alice's sisters, uh, Ganeda, is. From Akira. From Akira. <laughs> yeah. Tetsuo Ganeda, you remember. Uh, she is first called into service uh, for Nimoy because she betrayed Nimoy before, but she betwi- betrays Nimoy again, helping Hellboy in this case, sending away the monsters, and Nimoy basically just has to escape. And uh, in the process, she attacks Alice uh, with sort of this, like, I don't know, like a bug creature thing that goes into her skin. It essentially incapacitates Alice completely. And Hellboy asks Ganeda repeatedly, Hey, how can I help Alice? What can I do for my friend? Ganeda tells her about this guy. You may have heard of him. His name's Merlin. They gotta traverse some difficult terrain to go to a cave to find Merlin. Uh Uh-huh. Merlin, who has been cursed with immortality. So they go find Merlin. Merlin takes the little bug thing out of Alice's face. She's gonna be fine. And then he puts Alice and Bendamio to sleep. To tell Hellboy how he's not just a demon. He's the heir of King Arthur. Who, uh, one of King Arthur's, like, descendants uh, is his mother. Uh, She married a demon. uh, And then she gave birth to Hellboy. Hellboy's uh, Anungun Rama, you know the story.
0: Yeah. You know about Anungan Rama, a.k.a. Hellboy.
1: He's the guy. He's the guy. Merlin says, hey, since you're King Arthur's descendant, you're technically the king of England. And you can get Excalibur from this rock. I brought Excalibur here. Here it is. Why don't you take it? Hey, 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 be a pal. Take Excalibur. Could you? Could you do it? It'd it'd help me out.
0: It'd really be great if what you could do
1: is take the sword Excalibur. Just take the sword Excalibur and go kill the Blood Queen. You know, it would be a big help to me. Hellboy puts his hand on Excalibur and sees a vision of him riding a dragon and essentially wiping out huge hordes of living beings. He takes this to mean that he... Will be the cause of the end of the world if he takes Excalibur. Mm-hmm. And so he actually refuses to do so. That makes Merlin very upset. Merlin's like, What are you doing? I used the last of my magic to bring Excalibur here. What, 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 well, come on? And then he turns into dust. Even though he was cursed with immortality, this kills him for some reason. Yes,
0: yes. it really, it's, I think the word for a lot of what happens in this movie is nebulous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're not quite sure why it's happening, but it is happening. It does happen. It surely happens.
0: You cannot take away the fact that things are happening in this film.
1: Nimue attacks M11. She does a big old attack on the BPRD headquarters in London and abducts Professor Broom. Hellboy shows up too late uh, for that to work out, but he does figure out that he can follow her to St. Paul's Cathedral right there in London. If you've ever visited London, you've surely been there. It's a big old domed building.
0: Yeah, it it even... It even survives into the distant future of Mortal Engines. That's right.
1: So they go to St. Paul's Cathedral. And turns out, obviously, this is what Nimoy wanted all all along. Gruagok has grown really big and challenges Hellboy to a big fight. This is his chance for revenge. And even though Hellboy and Ben Damio both fight with Gruagok, it's pretty clear Gruagok's going to win this fight. Mm-hmm. He's been given so much power by Nimue that he's got Hellboy dead to rights. He's got Hellboy, like, down for the count. And only when Nimue shows up and says, like, actually, I don't want you to kill Hellboy. And she shrinks him down to a little, little tiny piggy. And then he explodes into blood. Uh, is he finally defeated? And Nimue says... Hey, Hellboy, what's up? Uh, I want you to be my king. So just go down here into the catacombs underneath St. Paul's Cathedral and King Arthur's tomb's down there. That's where Excalibur is now. Why don't you take Excalibur and then we can be, you know, king and queen together and we can rule, um, you know, uh, uh, basically a world of demons. How's that sound to you? And Hellboy, as he has throughout the movie, is a little conflicted about this. He's not sure how to handle it. Uh, also, oh, she kills Professor Broom <laughs> as well. Uh, she's got Professor Broom captive. She runs her very sharp fingernail across his neck, uh, slices his his throat open, and he dies. But Alice, who is there, uh, casts uh, Speak With Undead, or Speak With Dead, again. And uh, Professor Broom and... Nimoy sort of drag Hellboy in different directions. They uh, have a war of words over his soul. And Hellboy, after hearing what Nimoy says and what Professor Broom has to say, Professor Broom finally tells him he loves him. Uh, he cuts Nimoy's head off with Excalibur. Yes. Hellboy, and, Hellboy, and Broom say, "Hey, uh, smell you later." Broom <laughs> goes away. And essentially, Hellboy's all in on BPRD now. So we flash forward to six months later. Hellboy, Ben Damio, and Alice are now a team working for BPRD. They raid uh, the headquarters of the Ioannis Society, which is another cult of dudes. Uh, And they find a tank that is clearly Abe Sapien's tank. And we see Abe Sapien's hand... Go up against the glass. Yeah, and they go, huh,
0: Abe Sapien? Wonder what that means.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then there's a post credit scene where Hellboy talks to the ghost of Lobster Johnson, and Lobster Johnson says, uh, "You've won the battle, but there's still a war to come." And Hellboy geeks out over Lobster Johnson, who he loves. Yeah, he loves Lobster Johnson,
0: and who doesn't really? <laughs> We zoomed through that, Chris. We really knocked that out quickly, Matt, which
1: I think is a bad sign for the film. What high points do we have of Hellboy 2019?
0: Uh, Daniel Day Kim's re- really good.
1: I do like Daniel Day Kim as Ben Damio. Now, the, the subplot where he creates that bullet to kill Hellboy with using, like... Like Judas Silver and some other holy artifact, and it's all blessed by the Pope. Uh, by the end of the movie, he just like throws that away because mm-hmm. it, it. I guess it's meant to show that he's learned to trust Hellboy. So, in spite of a bad script, which we will get to, uh, the the portrayal of Ben Damio by Daniel day Kim is very good. Yeah, I would maybe I would... my probably my favorite actor in the movie. I mean, also. You can never say Ian McShane is bad.
0: No, I quite like Ian McShane. Um, inconsistent uh, with regards to the old accent.
1: Yeah, I don't know if Professor Broom is supposed to be English or American in this. Uh, <laughs> at some point, Ian McShane is doing the Al Swieringen, like, half-English, half-American accent, and sometimes he's just full English. Uh, not sure what, what he's trying to go for there. But, in large part, Ian McShane, pretty good in this.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I would say very enjoyable, as he usually is. Like, like you said, he's if you're gonna if you're gonna cast this movie because I do think the casting is pretty good. If you're gonna if you're gonna cast this movie, you, these are who you would want to get in in 2019, right? Like David Harbor is on is slash was on like an upswing thanks to Stranger Things, which is wildly popular. Sure, uh, especially with kids. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, uh, Ian McShane is also, like, in, in exactly this kind of role, doing very well. I mean, he's essentially playing same dude from John Wick.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, Ian McShane is one of those actors who brings instant gravitas yeah. to a role and to a project. And to like life. You, yeah, you, and to life. But, like, you see his name and you're like, oh, he's an important actor. This is yeah. this is good, you know. It, it's you know him and like Ian McKellen, all the Ians. They they bring something. Ian Ziering
0: <laughs> really lent that gravitas to. I think it was Sharknado too.
1: Yeah, yeah, f- fully. Uh, I think you know Miladrovic is a little bit. Of weird casting for the Blood Queen, but she doesn't do a bad job here.
0: no, I mean she, she again kind of the same kind of the same job she always does. She's given very little, actually. I don't think any of what may or may not be bad about her performance is her fault. I think you know she is exactly kind of what she is
1: asked to be in this, yeah, film. and I think Sasha Lane, who plays Alice, does a fine job with her role as well, yeah. She she has to work through some rough dialogue which we will talk about. I'll give one other high point, the makeup. Makeup's pretty decent. I like the Hellboy makeup in this a lot. He does look good. But I don't think he
0: looks When did when did Hellboy come out? 2009?
1: 2004.
0: Hellboy Uno? 2004?
1: Hell, Hellboy Uno was 2004,
0: yeah. Um he doesn't look 15 years better than Ron Perlman?
1: No. He he looks equally as good as Ron Perlman Hellboy, I would say. It's it's yeah. a distinct look. There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of stuff in this movie about his horns and how like he grooms them and keeps them up, which I kind of actually like. I imp- appreciate that in some ways. Also the parts where Hellboy is you know fully in An- 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 a on mode where he's got the the flaming crown and the horns mm-hmm. he looks imposing in in a way that he does not look when he's just regular hellboy, which I also appreciate i th- I think the makeup people and the practical effects when the effects are practical, like when Gruagak is clearly a guy in a suit, yeah, it looks okay
0: yeah the 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 more practical the effects are, the better.
1: Yes, for sure. For
0: sure. That's ki- that's kind of all I got. Um, I'm trying. Like I'm trying to think. Am I forgetting about anything that was good in this movie?
1: Oh, there's a cover of.
0: Oh yeah, the when they are in uh, Mexico. Yeah. Th- that scene ends with a Spanish language cover of "Rocky Like a Hurricane." That's great. And that like is that slaps. It's real good.
1: There's also an Alice Cooper song used in the in on the soundtrack that's pretty pretty tight. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Thomas Hayden Church is Lobster Johnson. I'll give I'll give something for that. He does
0: get the most with the least, I think, in terms of both lines of dialogue
1: and effort. His his one scene well, I guess his two scenes. He, he is a very convincing and good Lobster Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think we got a lot of low points for Hellboy 2019, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to um, start with, since we talked about music and the high points, all the rest of the music is bad. Just really bad. Like, well, the score is okay. Like, we get some score near the end that is appropriately majestic when Hellboy is all crowned up and he's holding Excalibur. Mm-hmm. But some of the other song choices are just like baffling and and again, I th- one of the biggest issues with this movie and it's not what I thought it would be from the trailers. It's another tone problem. But the music doesn't help with the tone problems. No.
0: The music's bad generally speaking.
1: Yeah. Uh another low point for sure is any non-practical special effects. The CGI in this movie is bafflingly terrible. This movie came out in twenty nineteen. And I-, I described certain scenes as looking like a video game cutscene.
0: Yeah, it looks it the whole movie pretty much looks like a video game. That's that's it.
1: It's especially bad. When Alice like summons the spirit of somebody who died, and it's like clearly somebody's filmed head attached to a CGI body, and it just looks like garbage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, the whole sequence where the, the Blood Queen, Nimue, has her army of monsters, those monsters look like they're from a fucking DreamWorks animated movie from a decade ago. Yeah. It's you know, why does it look like this? It looks really bad. The giants look terrible when that scene happens.
0: Yeah, and the like the kind of cool thing in that scene is when uh like Hellboy picks up a giant's sword, so it's a giant sword. Yeah. And uh just starts swinging it around. And I saw it and I was like, "Oh, cool. That looks like Monster Hunter, like that bit in Monster Hunter where they have those big swords and the yeah. sword has so much weight that you have to kind of like flip over it." And then I'm like, that also looks like Monster Hunter because it looks like Monster Hunter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's video gamey in a in a bad way. Visually, it's also video gamey plot wise. In that there are tons of fetch quests. There's a scene where like literally our heroes have to go to a cave to heal a member of their party. Also, there's a hilarious moment after they go to that Merlin cave that's supposed to be like mega remote, and they're supposed to have to traverse like the the toughest terrain to get there. I guess there's like a Verizon tower there because Ben Davio gets a a phone call. Yeah, as they're leaving, because it's my text tone. It's a text tone, I guess, but like yeah. it's like oh, they get reception there. <laughs> that's cool. Uh,
0: the, here's, here's, I think the biggest problem. I don't think David Harbour would have been a bad Hellboy necessarily. Like, I think generally, again, if you're going to cast this movie, these are probably the people you would cast. Uh, Unfortunately, the way Hellboy is written, he's dumb as a fucking sack of hammers. Yeah. Like. I don't really understand why Hellboy is a full idiot.
1: Well, there is a bit of an explanation in the trivia section of IMDb. Okay, I think, um, and this is something I said continually throughout the movie. I thought that David Harbour was playing Hellboy as a teenager. He acts like a teenager. He's petulant and rebellious against his dad like a teenager. He's kind of – he kind of doesn't think before he acts, right? Mm -hmm. He's kind of moody. He kind of flips out really easily. Well, in the trivia section of IMDb, one of the trivia items is David Harbour described his portrayal of Hellboy as a teenage version of Ron Perlman's Hellboy. Quote – He's younger and tougher, and really struggling with the idea of whether or not he's a good person. You called it. You called it, buddy. That's not the Hellboy I want. No, it's not. I don't think it's the Hellboy anybody wants. Why is he a teenager? This is clearly set in 2019, because we see Hellboy break any number of smartphones.
0: Yeah, that's a recurring gag
1: that is not good. He he tries to hit the end call button on his iPhone, and because his hands are so strong, he breaks the screen numerous times. Yeah. So he was born during World War II. This takes place in 2019. This is 80 years – he's been around for 80 years. He's been on Earth for 80 years. Why is he still a teenager?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he's a teen. And is I don't know just... why David Harbour, a extremely grown ass man, yeah, would play him as a teen either.
1: I mean, I think some of it's in the script, right?
0: Yeah, some like... of it's in the script. Like he's like weirdly horny for uh, Nimoy. Yeah, like at one point, like in what is the most upsetting piece of dialogue? Uh, Ian McShane is like, she got Tia with her perky breasts. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, can we can we tell
1: that one back? Well, it's like, so Nimoy is a big part of the Wild Hunt storyline, and Hellboy does have to stop her with Excalibur in that Mm storyline. But the whole idea of Nimoy needing a king and that king needing to be Hellboy and Hellboy kind of being horny for her—all of those things—are inventions of the movie, and they make the story worse. Yeah. Like, why would she need a king? She didn't need it the first time. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know.
0: Maybe she was like, huh, I got killed by a king. So I, I so I should probably get one of those.
1: I don't know. But, it like, the movie says repeatedly that the only way for her to achieve, achieve her goals is to have a king. It never says why. And it, like, the the comic story, she just builds an army, you know? Like, she doesn't need some king to help her at all in the comic story. Yeah. Why make that change? Uh, except to make it a personal thing for Hellboy. You know? Uh-huh. That's a very movie-esque conflict to create. But it doesn't make the story better.
0: No, it doesn't, like... Because that's the thing. The story in here is weird and muddled and made up of like a bunch of different Hellboy stories. And I think it's kind of intended to be everything to everyone. Right? Like, if you like Hellboy, then here is Hellboy. Here he is. Your old pal Hellboy. Oh, do you like the the corpse? Then here's a little bit from the corpse. Do you like uh, the Wild Hunt? Oh, the Wild Hunt is happening. It's trying to cram in everything and the end result is that like it's kind of incoherent in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, it's it's trying to fix something that's not broken in yeah. a lot of places because yeah. these hellboy stories are good and it it seems like the initial idea was to make the tone of this more like the kind of dark monster stories from the comics and less of a superhero thing like the Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro movies. So why not just do that? Why yeah. try to adulterate it? I don't know why.
0: Because yeah, I feel like that's also my inherent problem of the Guillermo del Toro one, is that it has all the stuff. It's got Liz and Abe and, and Hellboy, and it has like interesting bits, like you know Hellboy sleeps in the back of a flatbed truck, which which I thought was an interesting choice, because uh, in that movie he weighs like 800 pounds. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: Uh, but, like, it doesn't feel like Hellboy, you know? Yeah. And this also doesn't really feel like Hellboy, because Hellboy's dumb. And and the thing is, like, a teenage version of Hellboy is, is okay, fine, great idea. There has never been, like, a Hellboy... He goes straight from pancakes to being Hellboy. Right. There's nothing in between. He is always, like, the kind of world-weary hellboy. And that's the thing that we never get. Like, I think you you called it, Matt. Like, we never get the the kind of world-weary hellboy, which is the gag of there being this guy who fights all these demons, but he's just, like, so tired all the time.
1: Yeah, he's, he's just had it. Yeah. He just wants to relax, you know? He just I mean, wants to... Go chill out in his uh, underground lair.
0: Yeah, and we don't get that in any form
1: in this. It certainly doesn't come through in the dialogue. There are a handful of lines that do feel like Hellboy. But for the most part, I found the dialogue in this to be very forced and very it just it did not feel right. In particular, Alice's dialogue is like nails on a chalkboard. It's not good. It is a a adult male screenwriter's attempt to write for the youth. So Alice is like, Why don't you Google translate that for me? There's like
0: a there's like a bit Ugh. where she's like uh she's like, oh, we need to make sure that we stop her, because I don't want her coming back for the sequel. And I'm like, mmm. Maybe, ooh, dial that one back.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's I. I guess it's supposed to be self-aware, funny, and it's just it. It just comes off as trying too hard in a lot of places. Yeah, like like Hellboy's exasperated dialogue, which actually there wasn't as much of that in the movie as the trailers made it seem. But it never seems cool. It never seems. It just makes Hellboy seem like you know a child who's flying off the handle. Hellboy's weirdly childish, and I don't know why.
0: yeah, and there's like like there's a line at the end of this movie where Hellboy cuts off Nimoy's head, and he goes, "Uh what does he say? He's like, "Hey, quit while you're ahead." yeah, but like in that exact way. And I'm like, man, if you don't even want to say it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, it honestly, it felt like there are a lot of lines David Harvard did not want to say, so he mumbled them out. Yeah. There's a lot of mumbled lines in here. I want to say, I do kind of get the notion of why Hellboy is a child in this, because that's his arc, right? So the Professor Broom in this movie is very kind of hard-edged, right? He's not a loving dad. He he just wants Hellboy to do his job, you know? And it isn't until the end of the movie, after Professor Broom has died, that he tells Hellboy he loves him. And that leads to, like, a moment of growth for Hellboy. Fine. That's the arc of the movie that you wanted to have. It's not Hellboy.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it.
1: One last uh, low point that I want to talk about. This movie should not be rated R.
0: No. I don't understand why it is rated R.
1: I mean, I do understand why it is rated R. (laughs) Because there's a ton of cusses. There's a ton of cusses, lots of bodies get dismembered, and eyes get poked out, and there's a ton of blood, right? But all of that stuff is totally unnecessary. And there's this weird tonal mix of like R-rated violence and language, but also... Like corny jokes and monsters doing weird dances and like it's like half R half PG.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the You like Hellboy didn't have to say say a cuss. Uh you didn't have to say a lot of cusses. You can get away with one F bomb.
1: Well, I, I mean the the comic he didn't say fuck in the comics. Yeah, that's always been my big complaint. Yeah, I know. He'll say "son of a bitch," and that might be the worst thing Hellboy says in the comics. Why do we need to make the movie? Like, wh- what does that add to it? Like, I don't. Like, obviously, I'm not a person who cringes over language, but it just seems weirdly gratuitous for this movie to be R-rated. It's yeah. people taking the the wrong lessons from Deadpool being successful. It is
0: exactly like, people taking the wrong lessons from Deadpool, like the violence could easily be pg violence cuz it could be like 1% more slapstick and then it would be fine right
1: yeah it's 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 neither fish nor fowl in a lot of ways yeah it's it's not a gross horror gore fest in total but it's also not a slapstick cartoon in total it's some of both and as such you don't it's hard as an audience member to know what to make of the movie
0: yeah it's it's plot-wise it's all over the map story-wise it's all over the map acting-wise it's kind of all over the map tone-wise uh, tonally and then also like of this thing of you have a, essentially and look hellboy is the Hellboy comics are I think fairly accessible. I wouldn't necessarily say they're all ages books, but if you're 13, I would have sold you a Hellboy book with no problem. Yeah, easy. I would have never I would have ne- never once thought that was a bad thing to sell to a 13-year-old when I was working at the comic book store. He's also a big red cartoon character who fights monsters, and if you don't want to make like a PG-13 version of that, then then i feel like you like in both a story level and a uh like commercial level you could you could just you could just make hellboy a big red cartoon character who fights monsters
1: all right chris let's give some final thoughts about 2019's hellboy
0: uh, I'm really disappointed, Matt, and I didn't anticipate yeah. being disappointed.
1: I mean I did. I, I I didn't expect a good movie.
0: I didn't anticipate being I didn't anticipate a good movie. I did not expect to be disappointed in the way this movie was made.
1: Yeah. It's shockingly similar to Season of the Witch. A movie we watched instead of this last October.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And shares a cast member with that movie, Stephen Graham, who does the voice here for Gruagok, and is chewing just as much scenery as he does in Season of the Witch. The the similarities between the two movies kind of shocking when you mm-hmm. think about it. I do want to talk about some stuff uh, from the the trivia section, some more IMDb trivia stuff, about what a mess this movie was behind the scenes, Okay, which might explain a bit of how it ended up being such a a mess of a movie in so many different ways. Uh, Let me just read this one. Insiders on the film told The rap about a series of disagreements that boiled over when the producers decided to replace Marshall's go-to cinematographer, Sam McCurdy. Other spats involved rehearsals, star David Harbour, and the design of a tree. Two people familiar with the situation said McCurdy was fired simply for doing what Marshall asked him to do. And the producers Lawrence Gordon and Lloyd Levin were trying to send a message to Marshall that despite being the film's director, Marshall was not in charge. An attorney for Levin, Levin said that was not the case. While my client, quote, while my client will not comment on why Sam McCurdy was fired, as that is a private matter, be advised that it was a group decision and it had absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with Mr. Levin supposedly sending any kind of message to Neil Marshall, said the attorney Martin Singer in an email to the rap. In the same letter, Singer accused Marshall of encouraging this story. He said that based on the rap's questions about the production, the story appeared to be quote, shaping up as a puff piece for Mr. Marshall while tarnishing Hellboy and my client. Quote, I respectfully respectfully declined to comment. Uh, That's what Neil Marshall told the rap. Here's another one. David Harbour repeatedly walked off set refusing Marshall's requests for more takes. The producer responded my client has or I guess David Harbour's agent maybe replied my client has no recollection of that of ever happening. To the contrary, David Harbour gave everything he was asked of and more during filming. Here's what, another one, a prolonged dispute over a surreal tree that figures prominently in the film. <laughs> Neil Marshall wanted a realistic-looking asymmetrical tree, but the insider told Lloyd Levin – said Lloyd Levin, one of the producers, overruled him, insisting on a symmetrical tree. Then, in post-production, the tree became asymmetrical again. Singer disputed any suggestion that Levin, quote, somehow mucked it up in a back-and-forth tug-of-war over symmetry versus asymmetry, adding, quote, the design of the tree, like hundreds of other design elements in the movie, went through an exhaustive design and evolution process.
0: Big big fight about trees? Big fight about trees. Big, big old tree fight.
1: Here's a quote from Neil Marshall about the movie being R-rated. We've been granted permission to do it R-rated, which for me is just like taking the cuffs off. It's like, okay, so now we can just make the movie we want to make. It's not like I'm going to force it to be R-rated, but if it happens to come out that way just because of my own sensibilities, then fine, and nobody's going to stop us. So that's the main difference. And I'm sure obviously the success of things like Deadpool and Logan have not hurt that cause. Also, when you go back to the original material, it's kind of bloody, so I'm going to embrace that.
0: Well, I mean, like, look, if he would have embraced it, like, you could have either gone 1% less gory, or like One million percent more gory. And again, and done a Sam Raimi.
1: Yeah. But this doesn't do either. The gory parts are fairly gory. But what makes the movie super R-rated is all the cusses. Yeah. All the swearses. All the swearses. Uh, Also, there's a note. I can't remember if I saw this here or on Wikipedia. But um, basically, the producers took Final Cut away from Neil Marshall. Uh, and he did not have final cut, so there was a lot of animosity clearly between the director and the producers on this on this movie. Yeah, bummer, big bummer. We'll be back in March. We did we do, did we do final thoughts? That was final thoughts. Wow, I completely
0: I even missed the transition to final thoughts in our own show, Matt. <laughs>
1: That's what Hellboy's done to us.
0: Yeah, it's look. It's the the great thing is I am going to have forgotten about this movie in about half an hour.
1: Just don't let me watch it again. I okay. Don't want to be like, oh, there's a Hellboy movie out. We'll be back in March with another episode of Movie Fighters. Hopefully, it'll be a movie we will like more than this Hellboy movie. It it could be doomsday. Could be doomsday. Could it be could, we could have Neil Marshall redemption. Actually, let's let's pencil that in. I think we did earlier. Let's let's try to watch doomsday in March. Great, I'm stoked. Our website is moviefighterscast.com. That'll take you to our Libsyn page where you can find every episode of Movie Fighters, except the ones that are on uh, Bandcamp, which you can still buy. Also, you can follow us on Tumblr at moviefighterscast.tumblr.com. That's where you can send us questions, I guess, if you have questions for us. Or if you want to see pictures of the snacks we eat on the Snack Situation specials, you can go there. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at at moviefighterscast.gmail.com. That's our email address. Our music is by Michael Kill. The Snack Situation theme is by Matt Fisher. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this discussion of 2019's Hellboy. See you next month for Doomsday. This has been a Kaleidos
0: Media production.